those who were vulnerable amongst them. And the result was that the church grew in favour and uh, size. People saw how these Christians were living their life and said, I want to be a part of that. This is how life is meant to be and I want in. They dedicated themselves to prayer. One of the things that I find I easily do in my life is forget the power of prayer. But in prayer, two things happen. Uh, it's easy to think that in prayer nothing's happening. I don't know if you've ever had that, that experience where, you, where you're feeling like nothing's happening. But in prayer, two things are happening. First, we align our will with God's will. To, to move things forward in this world and in our lives, often God has to change something in us. And in prayer, we come to God and allow him to speak into our lives. We enter the throne room of God and he speaks into our situation. Secondly, through prayer, we tap into the power of God. God, in this situation, we need you to do something. It, it's not going to change by my efforts. We need you to do something. And in prayer, we ask the King of Heaven to move, the living God, and he so often does. We quickly forget the prayer of prayer. I don't, I don't know if this has happened to you, that you've been praying for something and suddenly, unexpectedly, the Spirit of God does something. And every time that happens to me, I'm surprised. I don't know why I'm surprised. It's just that I wasn't necessarily expecting God to work so quickly or so creatively or so beautifully into a situation. Has anyone had that experience? If, if not, can I encourage you, maybe you need to put yourself in a situation where you can have that experience. Maybe um, pray <laughs> about something that has been going on for a long time. Actually bring with your heart those things that are, you notice in this world to him with an openness to what he might unexpectedly do. Because God loves to transform. He is a redeemer. He is at work renewing this creation. And if we ask him, he moves. So I'm talking about prayer because our passage this morning is all about prayer. It is steeped in prayer. Um, we're talking about Saul and we're talking about Ananias. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile... Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Paul was absolutely zealous for the truth and the way of God, for ho God's holiness. He wanted to protect it. He was heading to Damascus, and you can bet that on the way... He was praying. He was praying, Lord, may I honour you. Whatever it costs, whatever it takes, I want to defend your glory and your honour. I want you to use me. He was probably um, praying, Lord, guide me. Help me to do the things that you were asking me to do. Lead me. Help me be an instrument for your name and for your glory as I go to Damascus and get rid of these pesky Christians who are defaming your name. 
probably alongside of that, he was praying, God, I want to see your holiness. God, I would long to see you face to face, or at least the back of you like Moses saw. At the same time in Damascus, you have a Christian named Ananias. He knows that Saul is coming to round up and imprison all the Christians there, and he is praying. Uh, You can be almost certain that he was praying after the way that Jesus taught. Lord, Father in heaven, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. Hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come, not just off in the future somewhere, but here and now in Damascus. May you bring people to yourself. May you go to work in this place. May you save people with the good news of your gospel. He would have gone on, protect us, deliver us from evil, deliver us from Saul who is coming to persecute us. For yours is the kingdom and the power and glory forever and ever. Amen. Two prayers. Lord, use me to defend your holiness and Lord, build your kingdom, protect your church. Two people on opposite sides, both sat praying to the same holy God. Both both asking for his glory and his way to be upheld. And this is what happens next. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. They, they say the essence of humour, I'm a bit of an expert on humour, ask Ava. Uh, they say the ex- essence of humour is juxtaposition, where two things that don't normally go together are put next to each other. They also say that um, a great joke has a sudden shift of perspective, where you're expecting one thing and suddenly something else happens. I am going to apologise in advance that I'm going to tell you a joke and I feel, I feel slightly self-conscious about it but this was the best example of the kind of joke that I could think of. If you think of a better one that's more appropriate for church, maybe tell me later but it's going to be too late. Uh, there was a nun. She was, <laughs> she was having a bath and someone knocked on the door and... She was a bit disconcerted because she was having a bath. But she said, who is it? And the person at the door said, it's the blind man. And she thought, well, if he's blind, it's probably not going to make a difference. So she said, come in. So the man walked into the room and he said, nice boobs, where do you want the blinds? (laughs) You are allowed to laugh, it's okay. (laughs) What happened to Paul in this story was exactly like that joke. It would, be, it would be hilarious if it wasn't so frightening for him because his prayer was being answered. 
He has this sudden vision of the glory of God. God showed up. Uh, it actually echoes back to the book of Ezekiel um, and the revelation of God's glory there. I, I want to read to you a little bit from Ezekiel. In my 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kibar River, the heavens were opened and I saw a vision of God. I saw visions of God. I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north and an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal and it was in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. And we'll skip down a little bit. Then there came a voice from above the vault over their heads as they stood with low, lowered wings. Above the vault of their heads was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli. And high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and that from there down he looked like fire, and brilliant light surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. So was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God, of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard the voice of one speaking. He said to me, Son of man, Stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet and I heard him speaking to me. He said, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. Paul would have meditated on this passage Probably one of his heart longings was, can I have this experience that Ezekiel had? I would long to see your glory. And so, in this passage, he knows what he should be hearing. He should be hearing, Paul, on your feet, I'm sending you to defend the righteousness of my people Israel by arresting this rebellious Christian sect. And instead, he hears the words, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Juxtaposition. Paul's, <laughs> who are you? <laughs> I, I, you're not the person that I, if I'm persecuting you, how can you be the Lord? That's not my life. Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Sudden shift in perspective. Jesus is Lord. Uh, in this one moment, Paul goes from being the greatest enemy of Christianity to being its greatest ambassador. A bit later in the story, he will go and preach convincingly in Damascus that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, like three days later right from the beginning. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Uh, George Littleton said that the conversion and apostleship of St. Paul alone, duly considered, was in itself a demonstration sufficient 
to prove Christianity to be of divine revelation. What happened to Paul was so outside of normal experience that something had to have happened. The Spirit of God showed up. Paul was this zealous, well-educated man, passionate for the Jewish faith, a man of principle, a man who cared deeply for doing what is right. He was passionate for the old ways. He was a conservative. And in one holy moment, all of that gets turned on his head. And it hinges on this one fact. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the King of heaven and earth. He is a promised Messiah. Paul will go on to found church after church. He is an interesting character, to say the least. He's bold and he's incisive. I won't get to it um, this morning, but as the story goes on from here in chapter 9, he preaches in Damascus and he preaches so powerfully and convincingly and annoyingly that the people in Damascus want to kill him, so they have to lower him over the wall to get him out. He goes up to Jerusalem He preaches in Jerusalem and he preaches so passionately and annoyingly and convincingly that the people there want to kill him, so they have to send him off off, up to Antioch with Barnabas. Uh, There's a really interesting line, very last line of Acts chapter 9 says, and for a while the church enjoyed a time of peace. (laughs) It's almost like, thank goodness Paul's gone. (laughs) One... A bit later in his letters, Paul will write these words. He says, For what we preach is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God displayed in the face of Christ. He had actually seen that glory and that light. He'd go on to say in Philippians, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's not just an idea for Paul. It's not just something that he hopes will happen. It's something that he has experienced. He has witnessed the glory of Jesus. He has bent his knee and fallen flat on his face in front of the glory of Jesus Christ. Jesus revealed himself in person and it turned Paul's world completely upside down. All right, I want to move on in the story a little bit. In Damascus, we'll get back to Ananias. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. Uh, I just want to remind you that this passage is steeped in prayer. It is all about prayer. Paul has just arrived in town. Ananias doesn't know what's happened to him on the road. Paul's come in, probably not in the splendiferous way that he'd planned to. He was getting led by the hand and blind. But you can bet that Ananias was praying about this. Paul had been fasting for three days. You can be certain that he was praying as well. The Lord told Ananias, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. 
for his praying. Uh, interestingly, Straight Street in Damascus is still there. You can actually go and visit this street. They have a house there that they reckon is the house where um, Saul from Tarsus lives. It's down the western end, but who knows. But the street is still there, which I find really cool. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports of this man and all the harm he's done to your people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this, is my, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. I love the order in that. He got up, was baptized, and then he ate. Saul, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. One of my favorite Australians of 2020 is this guy. Uh, I think I've got a picture. Yep. His name's Mark Rapley. Anyone know what he's famous for? He is famous for punching a shark. Uh, in, he was surfing off Shelley Beach in Brisbane and his wife was attacked by a three-meter-long shark. Um, he was 10 meters away. And so instead of paddling away, he paddled towards the shark, jumped into the water, got on the shark's back and punched it in the face until it let go of his wife. Uh, the CEO of Surf Life and Saving New South Wales, whose name is Steve Pearce, said his actions were a tremendous act of bravery. Uh, a surfer called Peter, who was there and saw the attack, said if he hadn't put his own life at risk, the shark would have been strong enough to take her out to sea. Mark Rapley told the newspapers, I did what anyone would have done. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> I'm sure that Beck wouldn't do that for me. She's, <laughs> she's terrified of... <laughs> um, I don't think he did what anyone would do. I think he did what anyone hopes they would do. And there's a big difference. When the moment came, he still had to step up and make a choice. That's why I love Ananias in this story. Because he's in a similar position to this guy. God asked him to step up. I love how God words it in his vision to Ananias. Saul has seen someone named Ananias <laughs> coming to lay hands on him. <laughs> you can't wriggle out of this one. <laughs> it's you <laughs> that needs to go. Ananias is fairly sceptical, but God assures him, Saul is my chosen instrument. I am going to do big things through him. Through Paul, the gospel is going to go out to the Gentiles. He's inflicted suffering on the Lord's people. Now I'm going to show him how much he's going to endure for me and for the gospel. And Saul certainly does. He was there at the stoning of Stephen. Many times he gets stoned for his faith and trust and proclamation of the gospel. Like I said, 
he was incisive and a bit annoying. He was like a dog with a bone. So God says to Ananias, go. I love it. Same, same as Jesus has sent the disciples out with the Great Commission, go. God says to Ananias, this is your moment, go. And Ananias took his shot. He came, he laid hands on Paul, he prayed for him. He was the conduit through which the gift of the Holy Spirit came on Paul. Very early on in the life of the church, that was really important. Um, probably less so now. But to have someone who is an ambassador for God, the Holy Spirit, so that Paul can know that from Jesus, faith has come into his life, the Holy Spirit has come into his life. That's why we still lay hands on people as a way of physically demonstrating what is happening in the spiritual realm. Um, Ananias was also most likely the one who baptised Paul. Imagine having that on your CV. <laughs> I'm the guy who baptised Paul. <laughs> um, he's the one who welcomed him into the church. He would have baptised him in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and then gone to the other Christians in Damascus and say, this is your brother. I love the words of Ananias when he walks in the door. Brother Saul, God has sent me. Ananias passed the test. He swam towards the shark. How about you? How do you reckon you'd go in that situation where God says, go? I know you don't want to. I know you're scared, but I'm asking you to go. I think if, you're, if we're honest, it's really hard to predict. It's really hard to know how you'd go in those situations when you're called to step up. Again, I think this foundation of prayer has a really big role to play. The fact that Ananias was clearly a man of prayer plays a massive part in his ability to respond in this situation. He had practiced listening. He had practiced obedience. Um sucks being the um, pastor's kid. Um, Ava, I'm going to mention you again. One of the things we talk about with our kids is obedience in the small things. Not because we're sticklers and we care about little details, but because learning to do what you're asked in the small things has a flow and effect so that you are ready when the big thing comes. Um, We've had that a little bit in the church, I've, I've noticed um, uh, for a few people, they've had this sense that God has asked them to give up alcohol for a certain period of time. Like just a number of people and they've been obedient to that. It's not a huge thing. It's not that alcohol is necessarily evil, but it's just a, a way of denying yourself because God has asked, of learning how to put in place something that God is asking you to do, to be responsive. Ananias had practiced all of those things. So when the moment came, he didn't have to second guess whether this was God speaking or not. He didn't have to doubt that what God was calling him to do would work out. He'd experienced that throughout his life. He knew 
how to exercise the spiritual discipline of risk. I love that phrase, the spiritual discipline of risk. Doing something that is embarrassing or strange or potentially dangerous simply because are aware that God is calling you to do it. I think um, we need more of that in the church, trusting God on his word, not worrying about what could go wrong and simply being obedient. We need eyes to see not just the challenge but also the opportunity that might happen when the spirit of God shows up in a situation where it needs to. Imagine what God can do with Paul if the Spirit gets a hold on him. I, he is my chosen instrument. We need a willingness to go, to know in our guts that Jesus is Lord. Like Paul, not have it as some kind of thing that we pay lip service to, but as something that we know and have experienced and have encountered, that Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth, that Jesus has completed his work, the work of God, and he has redeemed us back into his family. We belong to him. We are his people. He has shown us the way to live, the kingdom way of living, and he possesses the power and glory to see that kingdom come, not just in our lives, but in the world around us that God is at work, that he has sent us and he'll be with us wherever we go, whatever may come, wherever he calls us to. Let's be uh, a little bit more like Ananias and Paul and I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your glory. We recognise that you already um, given to you by the Father that all things in heaven and earth are under you, that every knee will bow. We thank you that you have not exercised that authority over us to condemn us, but that you have called us and invited us into your work, into your kingdom and your life. We thank you that we share in that power and that mission. We thank you that you have sent us to go be witnesses and put into practice um, what we now have learned in you. Lord, we pray for a boldness. We pray for a spiritual discipline of risk. Lord, when when you speak, we pray that we would move. We pray that you would speak to us today, that you would open our ears and our hearts. If anyone here is aware of something that you are calling them to, no matter what it is, May they have the courage to put it into practice, I pray. And Lord, give us ears to hear your leading on this place. We long to see your kingdom come. We recognize that you have all power and authority and heaven and earth. And we thank you that instead of uh, using that to condemn us, you have blessed us with uh, blessing upon blessing and we can worship you in spirit and truth in this place. So we thank you for this time this morning. Amen.